This week we are talking about Roma, the uh, hit masterpiece by virtuoso director Alfonso Cuaron. Bravo. Um, Fraser, what did, what did you think of Roma? I thought it was a heady mix of raw emotion mm. uh, coupled with pure animal talent from the actors. Yes, I absolutely agree. An intoxicating film. It really was, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> what, what did you think of the, the scene that has everyone talking about the 1970 student riot that happens kind of in the background of this film? I mean, I get that it adds to the milieu. It does, it does. Was it necessary for this film to go political like that? make such a bold statement well you know what that's what alfonso is known for is his bold statements yeah 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 i guess that's it for the <laughs> serious movie review is that a real movie is that is that something that actually yes oh yeah oh no yeah I, and i can i can definitely wholeheartedly recommend it it's the first time i've watched and i don't want to put this indelicately but a good film in okay. quite a long time, uh -huh. which made it very difficult for me to watch it because I was always just wondering, like, when is the robot coming? Yeah. Why is the acting so good all the time? It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> and I was like, this is very slow paced and subtle. And I was like, yeah. just, it was really difficult. I feel yeah. I feel yeah. I have the same problem if I ever do watch like good movies now because it's everything has become a B film to me, and I watch it with that same mindset. Like I watch yes anything as if it's a B film, and now sometimes good movies just annoy me because I'm like, this isn't this isn't funny at all. What is this? <laughs> this is actually good. <laughs> How annoying. How fucking annoying. What am I supposed to say about this trash? <laughs> there are so many insightful commentaries I could make. That brings us, I think, to our usual podcast. The one where we do the opposite. Be, Be positive. positive. Be positive. That uh, was perfectly time, in sync. It's time to get fucking positive. I'm feeling so positive right now. I feel incredibly positive. My name is Fraser. My name is Louis. And we are Be Positive. Yeah, I'm not, I'm cutting that bit. No, now you have to leave it in. Now that we're talking about it, now you have to leave it in. Oh uh, yeah, now um, because you're continuing the conversation, now it's become like a hassle to try yeah. and like weed it out. Yeah, now it's a bit, now it's funny. Yeah. Now it's, it's not just a mistake now, it's a bit. Okay, okay. This week, we're discussing the 1981 film, The Demon. And not Tokoloshi. Not Tokoloshi. Unfortunately, we wanted to do that film, but hopefully we'll be able to do it at a later date. 
But I am I'm glad we settled on the demon. I'm very excited about this one. Oh yeah. Because as some listeners might remember, the kind of choices we posited for this month's theme uh, were South African horror or Cameron Mitchell marathon. South African horror won, but in the demon we find the meeting point between one Cameron Mitchell and the South African horror movie scene. And it's a beautiful and frightening combination. It truly is. As an aside, if the the listeners, if you hear any sort of demonic wailing or poltergeist activity, you know, the banging of things, the opening of sh- opening and closing of doors, that's just my upstairs mm-hmm. neighbors. They are literally possessed or something. They're like running on the walls there i've got green slime coming down my porch it's crazy but yeah yeah back to the demon back to the demon yeah i mean and and this podcast is cursed yeah yeah this is a haunted podcast i mean how else would we get so spooky no exactly we had to enlist the help of the lord of worms and then also now we've got gremlins so yeah, it's <laughs> it's becoming a fucking party. Just invite every evil. Yeah, this podcast won't ever pass a health and safety inspection. Um, it That's is long right. past that. Too late. Okay, do you wanna hit us with a, a synopsis of the demon? Oh my god, I will try. I'm gonna force you to do it. I, <laughs> I'm gonna try, and you're gonna have to correct me. So the demon opens up with a killer, right? We start with a killer. He's killing. Yes. He kills a bunch of people and then like some... He kidnaps 14-year-old Emily. Yeah, he kidnaps Emily. Then he takes her to the ocean and very romantically like just chucks her into the rocks or something and she's dead. (laughs) The next thing pretty much that happened, like I have a foggy memory of this movie, but next thing that happens (laughs) is... The parents are all like, oh, where the fuck's my daughter? And Cameron Mitchell shows up and he's like, I have ESP yes. and I'm a ex-Marine and I'm fucking American and here I am. I'm going to save you. And then he proceeds to tear up her bedroom, like has just the craziest fit in there, ripping up her bedroom, and destroying all her stuff. Yeah. Uh, he, through psychic means, ascertains the location of her body, but... His psychic powers just sort of look like an acid trip or what I would imagine an acid trip looks like. I've not taken acid, but Uh it's all blurry and it's all very crazy. Then, yeah, he finds he finds the location of the body. He's like, well, I mean, I said I'd save your daughter, but I, I guess I did. Some bad shit happens. Emily's dad dies. There's a new target. Emily's mom kills Cameron Mitchell, fucking just wraps that <laughs> subplot up like it wasn't the start of the film. And then we follow Mary and Joe, two preschool teachers. Mm-hmm. And that, that fucking hit close to home, man, the preschool teacher thing, because that's, that's my job. Yeah. They get hunted by the demon, and uh, mm-hmm. Joe, she doesn't make it. She, yeah. Yeah, she dies. But Mary survives, and... All in all, yeah, good movie. It just ties up where Mary escapes, right? That's the end. She escapes. Yeah, she stabs the demon in the neck. Yeah, like a fucking badass. And then she runs away, and just as she's knocking on the neighbor's door, her boyfriend uh, 
Bob, I want to call him. Bobby. He arrives. Hello, Bobby. So that's the demon. That is it. Look, if that didn't make any sense to you, dear listener, it's not Fraser's fault. A little bit. This is definitely, I mean, it's a little bit Fraser's fault. But a lot of this movie is is designed to be as incomprehensible as possible. Yeah. So the experience is very much like that. It's it's kind of loose and hallucinatory. Yeah. It's we actually do we cover a lot of films that have this hallucinatory vibe. And is that because it's the way our minds work and our our biases drawing us towards those films or is it just a cheap trick to hide poor production quality behind blurry takes and shit? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I mean, the gimmick for our podcast is to assume that everything is entirely intentional. Yes. But I think, I think a lot of it does come down to just people not really knowing what the hell they're doing. I'd like to think it's because... They're running through their mom's hallway and they've dressed up two spare rooms to be two places in in the film. But they mm. actually don't have his mom's permission to shoot in the hallway. Yeah. So they have to like, <laughs> fucking, this is... Run, run, run. Run, run, run. Oh, we're so yeah. fast and everything's so movie. Yeah, they blew the whole budget on Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then he dies so early. I was expecting... My boy Cameron to <laughs> well, meet the demon more than once. He dies an hour into the film. Yeah. But he's only on screen for a total of like 10 minutes. Yeah. So he doesn't die early, but it feels like it. But it also feels like three hours into the film. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a short film. It does take a while, but it just comparatively, I don't see enough Cameron Mitchell yeah. <laughs> in this. Although I did love him in this. Yeah, and, and definitely not enough to justify him getting a, a starring credit. The cut that I saw gave the starring credit to uh, one of the female actors, actually. Yeah, I know Joe is played by Zoli Marky. Jennifer Holmes, uh, who plays Mary. Well, I mean, she is she is technically the actual star of the film, even though she only we only meet her like a half an hour in. That's what I was saying with to like separate but thankfully plot. by that point they've kind of gotten rid of the looking for the missing girl plot and they just pick up with the stalking the teacher plot it is like watching both the demon and its sequel just stuffed into one film yeah which i think is a brilliant tactic on the part of the filmmakers they i mean they saved a lot of money by making two films one film true true saved a lot of time yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, you can't get Cameron Mitchell in for two films. That would uh, break the bank. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you got to trick him. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old South African proverb. You can always trick Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> but Cameron Mitchell looked surprisingly sober in this film. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, his acting at this point was pretty hacky and ham-fisted. Yeah, no, I think... The years had had started getting to him by this point. Yeah, or I mean, he just didn't care about this film, which is entirely possible. (laughs) And perfectly understandable as well. (laughs) I think the thing that stood out as most meaningful to me was the incredibly brave and artistic choice that the filmmakers made here 
to make sure that it is impossible at all times to see anything that's happening on screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, use, they use two <laughs> techniques for this. Uh, the nighttime scenes are pure black. Yeah, it's shot on uh, a GoPro, basically. <laughs> you can't yeah. see shit. They have, have no lighting at all. You can't see any definition in actors' faces or anything it's, like it's that. It's natural and then, lighting. It, <laughs> well, that's what makes this such a masterpiece, right? I mean, films like Kubrick's Barry Lyndon shot with all natural light. And here they use the same technique and it really works to give you that sense of... It's night. I don't really know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't see. I'm very frustrated. (laughs) You know, I don't know who's doing the killing. I also don't know who's being killed. (laughs) And then on top of that, which I think really elevates this film, is that the camera is also constantly out of focus yes so even in the daytime scenes it's a little difficult to tell what's happening yeah even for the 80s the quality like picture quality wise it's not super duper i think they might have actually shot it on vhs <laughs> that it wasn't like shot on 35 mil yeah it was maybe. Shot on vhs tapes yeah and then like just copied a bunch and then released yeah Yeah, no, it does add to uh, kind of the mystique and the occult nature of the killer. Yeah. As like the supernatural being. It's always darkness or blur. So yeah, even if you do get a good look at the killer's face, you're like, is he wearing a mask? Is he not wearing a mask? You're always questioning yourself. And that's Mm. like, I agree the the film really keeps you guessing and keeps you on your toes. I mean, in a lot of classic slasher movies they kind of hide the the villain in a shadow he's sometimes like an indistinct shape you see over the character's shoulder but here this villain is so evil that his darkness spreads over the entire scene yeah so that you can't see anything and that's really scary to me <laughs> it is uh, as far as monsters go that's right up there with I don't know, like an actual unicorn or yeah, or mer people as being something that's really scary for me. Man that brings a darkness. <laughs> the darkness man. <laughs> or just darkness in general. Yeah. Every time I close my eyes, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh God, he's back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and what I found especially uh, effective about this technique was every time that the screen was completely and entirely, and I cannot stress that enough, entirely black, yeah. I caught sight of my own reflection in the screen. That's the black mirror. That's clever. Exactly. You know, and I just, all of a sudden, I realized what the filmmakers were trying to tell us. They were warning us about the monsters within. If you stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. <laughs> And I mean, of course, these filmmakers are deeply and richly inspired by Nietzsche. Who else would have inspired them to pen this masterwork and then apply generous amounts of of their worksmanship onto the canvas of film Mm. to paint us a picture or not? 
paint us a picture. That's a very postmodern turn where, you know, they said, well, you know, usually in movies, you see things, not in this one. <laughs> That's how it works. Psych, you're listening to a podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Is the demon the world's first podcast? I think so. I we may have discovered uh, patient zero. <laughs> So yeah, that's a great thing that they use throughout the film. Some other kind of similar techniques is the really weird sound mixing they used. Yeah. Where sometimes there's just complete silence, like no foley or anything. And then sometimes the foley is so loud that you can't hear the dialogue. Yeah. And and sometimes the, the dialogue is so loud that it clips. Yeah. And it like starts getting a little scratchy. That happens. <laughs> And I don't, I mean, I don't know much about sound, but what do you think about their uh, um, eclectic sound editing technique? It was definitely intentional. These audio wizards knew exactly what they mm. were doing. To a, a large extent, we can apply the same thing we were talking about with the lack of visuals in the film to where the yes. audio cuts out. And it actually, these two things represent the same occurrence. Because we're actually watching this film kind of from the killer's perspective. Because he is painted as a supernatural yeah. killer, so he has a little bit of omnipresence. So he's always watching, right? But he's also wearing a silly little mask. So sometimes yes. the mask gets turned around on his head, and then he can't hear <laughs> anything yes. because the ear holes are now yes. gone. And he can't see anything. Because, like, the mask moves <laughs> over his eyes. So this was like a twofold attack to bring us that hidden, yes. tasty, jam-like filling at the center of this work of art. That's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's genius because that is what the killer fears the most, is the mask slipping. Yeah. You know, revealing his true self. Or even just obscuring. <laughs> Obscuring his <laughs> line of sight and range of hearing. Well, I mean, if you're going to be killing people, you need to be able to see them. Okay, yeah. that's just... That's, well, uh, not that's anymore. Just the facts. You could probably, like, order an automated drone strike on somebody without looking at them. I mean, sure. If you are the president. Yeah. I, I guess um, if, if... A country... <laughs> yeah, not like of a company... <laughs> or like of a book club class president in school can you imagine a world in which seventh graders are allowed to call drone strikes i can imagine a world like that and all of the teachers would be dead yes putting that right out there even the nice ones would be dead because kids just think it's funny to point and shoot at things but i mean i guess in china there's no gun culture but like chinese kids love the most dangerous game <laughs> Uh, hunting people for sport that's what you're saying yeah yeah another thing that they did in this film that to me was very brave and very how to say <laughs> uh, it was very brave and like it pushed the boundaries of cinema a little bit yes is that it was kind of a fusion film of yeah. a slasher but also mixed with this very spiritual very vision questy sort of story about Cameron Mitchell yeah going on his little psychic journeys 
And then ironically, that plot of the psychic thing and him going into these hallucinations ends with him being shot yeah. right in the middle of the forehead yeah. where the third eye is supposedly located. And he then dies for a long time. <laughs> and Emily's mother, who is the one who shoots him, pulls out the gun and says, Did your ESP warn you about this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and clearly it did it. And how betrayed must he feel in that moment where the, he's like, fucking ESP? All you do is give me visions of people being murdered, but you can't even, like, just just a heads up? Just that there's a gun over like my there. own death, maybe? I think we do need to discuss Cameron Mitchell's Oscar-worthy performances during his ESP trances. Oh, yeah. They were uncomfortable to watch. Yes. I would I would like to present to the audience now my impersonation of Ka- Cameron Mitchell's Colonel Bull going into a psychic trance and receiving visions. I am so ready. Okay. Here we go. And <laughs> 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 Yeah. And scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did in that, while I was watching that, I did get the sense that I am seeing him recreating his sex noises and mm. also then experiencing his own face, which was very intense, especially coupled uh. with him at the time, like crawling around essentially like a, a young teenage woman's bedroom. Mm. And he's like, yes. just fully having one. And it's... And he rips up her pillow and is like sniffing a scrap of it. And her parents come in and he turns around and says, I know this must look like witchcraft to you. Yeah. And I'm like... That's not what it looks like. <laughs> no, Cameron. That's not what it looks like. <laughs> Yeah, dude, you look like a <laughs> pervert right now. You don't look like That's, supernatural, yeah. super duper. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't try and cover your tracks with this witchcraft stuff. We know what's happening here. Yeah, that was literally like the funniest scene in that whole movie. And it is truly meme worthy. So it is. If y'all out there in listening land, if all of you out there yes. have meme chopping abilities, cut us a meme of Ed, of Cameron Mitchell just fucking having the biggest orgasm <laughs> being a total weirdo <laughs> you'll know the scene if you've watched the movie you know the scene you'll you'll know exactly when it happens as for another little bit of weirdity our good friend joe which by the way joe and mary are cousins yeah but joe is afrikaans and mary is american yeah that can happen but so joe she's dating a new guy called Tom, I want to say. I called him Rich Boy. Okay, let's call him Richard. Richie Rich. So, so Joe is dating Richard, and she kind of asks him, listen, you're, you've got a lot of money to spend, but you don't have a job. What's happening? And he explains that he's being supported by his father, who's a magnate or tycoon of some sort. And a very nice man. He kind of reveals his own insecurities but he's also all he's really trying to do is get into joe's skirt and joe delivers the line oh, what does that wonderful piece of dialogue 
you need some love. That's what I've been trying to tell you. No, no, no. I mean mother love. Yeah, and then she gets on top of him. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, whoa, Joe. Like, whoa, I'm not kink shaming. <laughs> I know that, hey, I know Joe, some... No. I know probably some of our listeners are even into that whole calling their significant it's... other daddy or mommy. <laughs> I'm not going to kink shame. And it's very big right now. Yeah. It's a big <laughs> thing. I'm not like, I'm not going to call you out, even though I slightly <laughs> just did. But I'll have you know... It does make me uncomfortable when I look at it on movies. Yeah, and then <laughs> later in the film, she has the nerve, the gall, to say, I thought I'd freaked you out with that mother love line. It's like, yes, it should have. It just shows you how dedicated this guy is to being with her. In the biblical sense. Yeah, that could mean a lot of things, but I think we know what it means in this sense. <laughs> Let's not... <laughs> They want to be touching friends. <laughs> Let's not linger on it. Oh, we've already spent too long on this now. But later on, this dude comes over for dinner and Joe and this guy hook up. And then they go for like a late night swim. And then he's like, hey, do you want to cook breakfast for me? Like forever? And then she's like, that would literally be the best thing yes. ever. Was that his proposal? Yeah. Ooh. I'm gonna Ooh. say he probably doesn't have a lot of life experience and the second thing is twofold first you gotta remember there's a time and a place and in the 80s wherever this place wherever this movie was made I'm guessing South Africa it was made in South Africa yeah yeah it does seem like like a bit of a, a local production well, I mean that's why that's why it's in this month oh yeah oh I just thought like we were panicking yeah. and we were like grasping at Cameron Mitchell's Let's just do this Cameron Mitchell. No, 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 no. This is, this is the meeting point. Okay, okay, okay. I see, I see. So, 1980s South Africa, not the most progressive place, I'll tell you. No. Again, I'm understating as always, but yeah, it was fucking awful. So, the feminist movement at that time had not gained much traction. Add to that that this film was written by men. And does not pass the Bechdel test. Not, not even a little bit. So in the reality that this film is portraying, which I'm not saying is right. It's pretty weird. But in this reality, that's a good proposal. Very romantic? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've never been a... She's very excited about a it. A billionaire playboy. Even though she is a woman written by a man. See, that's the thing. If he were the local janitor... I don't know that she would have been that keen. I mean, he's also not a bad looking guy. I guess he's handsome. No. Well, that's what she says to him while she is giving him mother love. <laughs> I was like uh, a million percent convinced that he's the killer, but yeah, he isn't. I thought we had or an American it? psycho type situation on our hands. Because I mean, all this stuff about the mother love, and you're such a sad boy and you know him being troubled but rich i was like oh clearly okay he's the killer this is a little on the nose yeah but we never find out who the killer is the mask never comes off in fact he's a victim the mother suspects that cameron mitchell is the killer of course which is why she kills him why wouldn't you but it's not him either and it's not the father no because he's dead yeah, the killer got him. Yeah, and you can't get yourself. I mean... I mean, you could. You could. But then you can't still be the demon. Talk about it. <laughs> it's kind of a... Yeah. It's a one-way ticket. <laughs> That's the last kill you can do. Yeah, once all the humans are gone, 
that's the one you gotta you gotta kill the demon it's the ultimate challenge yeah no i don't actually think the killer is any character we actually meet in the film he's just he's no. portrayed very much like michael myers from the halloween series this is after this is post halloween that this was made so this is clearly to put it generously inspired by halloween yeah uh, the original halloween came out in 1978 a full three years before this. Okay, so this was perfect for them to digest Halloween, take it in, and then do something really good with it. Especially the scene where Mary is chilling with the kids, they're singing their little gangster songs and whatever. Don't throw your trash in my backyard, my backyard, my backyard. Don't throw your trash in my backyard, my backyard's full. Gangster rap. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that, of course, is a very clever comment on and reference to the phenomenon of not in my backyardism. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of related to gentrification and, and suburbanization, where the wealthy don't let, you know, certain kinds of projects be developed near them. So like power stations or waste management or things like that. Oh, yeah. But they don't mind those things being built near poor people. That's fine. They just don't want it in their backyards. It's always better in someone else's backyard. Exactly. That's clever that they point that out. Yeah. I mean, this is a very political film. It really is. Aren't they all? <laughs> At that point, like, you get the shot of Mary chilling with the kids and off on the horizon, there's like a tree or something. It's hard to see because yeah. just generally things in this film are hard to see. Well, it's out of focus. Yeah. And the killer is standing, the demon is standing underneath the tree, staring at her. And it's very much like that scene in Halloween where Laurie Strode is looking out her window and there in her yeah. backyard or front yard or, you know, somewhere generally around her suburban house, she sees Michael Myers. And our friend, the demon, very similar. He also is wearing kind of a pale, uncanny valley looking mask. Yeah. And a jumpsuit. His MO is different to Michael Myers, where Michael Myers is big into stabbings. Yeah. Very big on stabs. Yeah. Where the demon does have a glove with metal claws attached. He does have that. But he never uses that. No. He rather opts for choking his victim. And then once they are incapacitated because choking it takes a long time your hands get tired and like Ugh. he just doesn't have time yeah. for it so he puts a plastic bag over their head and then ties that up and then they asphyxiate so what exactly then is the purpose of the claw glove uh we do see him use it uh, when he is pursuing mary in the final sequence he's pursuing her through her massive house by the way she lives in just That's the biggest cool. house yeah it's incredible how two teachers could afford that place on their salaries yeah dude a different time <laughs> but she clambers up into like the crawl space it's not really an attic in south africa it's just like there's a little bit of light ceiling and some planks and you can just crawl up into the roof basically i don't know it's like an attic yeah but it's not you can't live there yeah no so you're just up in the in the ceiling in the rafters you're between the ceiling and the roof but she leaves her gown behind and that's when we see the demon go to work with his edward scissor fingers that's right yeah, he just yeah he does tear up her clothes yeah he rips it up okay i understand 
don't understand why he did that, but we know from his character that he hates women. Yes. When the filmmakers, for instance, very subtly portray this with him just sitting and tearing up photos of women from oh, yeah. like Sports Illustrated. So that tells us in a very subtle way that he, he has some sort of antipathy towards women. But what I, what I really want to know about that scene is why did she take her clothes off? to climb up into the ceiling. They play it off like it's a diversion, but maybe she climbs up through the little access hatch and the hatch itself yeah. is a square and it's got a, a piece of the ceiling that's loose that you could just pop out. Now, I don't know how common yeah, yeah. this is around the world. I've not seen it in many places, but she crawls up in there but then doesn't close the hatch behind her because it, there's a point where you have like to let it go and then it would like make a big fucking noise coming back down. And that's something that maybe viewers from countries where they don't have this, you wouldn't know about it. So she doesn't put it there. She leaves her gown down so that when the killer walks in, his gaze is drawn uh, to the, the gown. So he doesn't look at yeah. the roof. He doesn't look at the ceiling to check if that panel is open. That's, uh, that's quite clever, actually, I think. Yeah. Mary is a true survivor. She is. And it works out well for the filmmakers because then they get to show her topless for the last five minutes of the film. That bit was unnecessary, but yeah. at least she does clothe herself eventually. Yes, uh, ingeniously, she uses a shower curtain to make a poncho. And then puts on the shower cap because reasons? <laughs> Just to complete the look. I guess. I'm a shower! <laughs> Anthropomorphic shower, prepare to meet your doom, demon. Yeah, and then she sticks him in the neck with the scissors. So I guess that's why the hair the shower cap and the poncho, so she wouldn't get blood on herself. True. It's also very clever how she sets it up because she manages to get away from the killer after they fall through the ceiling because yes. he gets temporarily knocked unconscious or just dazed. Or his mask turns around, which is a possibility. Yes, yeah, because it is a very flimsy mask. It's not, not super great. And then she runs and bar like locks herself in a bathroom. And then knowing that he'll, he's going to be coming, she dresses herself for battle. Mm -hmm. Then she puts a lot of soap or bubble bath or something in front of the door. MacGyver's the shower head to spray water in that area yeah. and then as the killer comes in the water is right directly angled towards his eyes so he's temporarily blinded he's slipping on the fucking slipping and sliding. she goes yeah. full berserk mode screaming and stabbing yeah and it's great that when the when the water hits him uh we hear his voice and it's like a yeah, it's very bestial. Yeah, there is there is something of the demonic in him. I mean, do we? We've ignored it mostly, but the film definitely ignores it. I'm talking, of course, about apartheid. Yes, this <laughs> film does not seem to exist in a world where anyone is not white. There is one black person in the film. Okay. And he's a doorman at Richard's oh. flat block. Yeah, I must have... Um, you know, sometimes with movies like this where it's so in incomprehensible, I think I do experience short bursts of brain death. <laughs> so... 
I must have been, you know, not of this world at the time. He's non-speaking role and is only on screen for about five seconds. Well, there you go. But yeah, so this film shot and set in South Africa, because this is not uh, South Africa pretending to be America. It is South Africa. They're riding around with their Transvaal number plates. The yeah, synopsis yeah. mentions that they live in Saxonwald in Joburg. Which is Lani. Very Lani. I don't there's no way two teachers could have afforded that, even in the eighties. Even in those dirty eighties. <laughs> Cause I mean it's weird, right, that this film shot and set in one of the most violent and volatile times in South African history makes absolutely no mention of it. No. I really wonder how this film got produced. Like, how did they secure funding and permission to make this film because I'm kind of wondering whether the absence of apartheid in this film is the work of apartheid era censors and not that they cut anything out but that they said you you're not allowed to shoot this movie here if you show anything yeah uh, about what we're doing no I'm sure uh, they had some sort of agreement that it it would have to stick to its own storyline and whatever and it if it mentioned apartheid, it just wouldn't happen. So I'm guessing they would have just written it, pretending like they're in mainly white society, I guess. Which, of course, the apartheid era wasn't a white society. It was just a system of oppression run by white people. And I mean, that in a sense, I think, speaks to a lot of, you know, white people's own denial in in the apartheid era. Oh, yeah. Where they could just go about their daily lives and do their things and not have to worry or think about, you know, what was happening. I think to a large extent, it was also censored. So by the time it got to the white man on the streets or white woman on the streets, I think it, it was muddied up and presented in a way that it almost the government made these reports seem like conspiracy theory and yeah i don't know about by the 80s but during early apartheid the government was lying to the white people too it took a long time for the general populace to figure out what actually was going on yeah no i mean there was a massive massive campaign of um counterintelligence misinformation propaganda fake news yeah all that stuff was constantly being deployed to keep both sides of the population um passive yeah in many ways south africa is still a victim of of all those same tactics they never never went away definitely and i mean as as we've seen recently it's a it's a giant global problem as well it's yeah. everywhere i don't know what it means but it's revealed like 90 percent of the world to be run uh, like an oligarchy yep it's very strange i think i think this is what post-capitalism is just just more capitalism this is what it is this is what comes next like <laughs> we like i i remember a while ago people were talking about post-capitalism and it's coming and whatever but maybe we've just gotten post fucking everything post-democracy post oh boy that's a scarier thought it doesn't seem like there is some next form of governance there doesn't seem to be some structure on the horizon it just seems to be that this is this is what it is and this is how it's going to end that's a very very dark and cynical view fraser i'm a little concerned it's fine i'm a goth (laughs) (laughs) do we have anything else to say about this film i could go on about the sexism i could fucking lift you quotes 
one choice yeah. quote. I'm just going to do one. Yes, I'm just I think I know one. what it's going to be. I love it. This phrase is flash. Here we go. When uh, the rich guy, yes. when Joey oh, asks him, like, what does he do for money? He doesn't seem to have a job. He's super lavish. He's like, you want to know where the bread comes from? <laughs> that motherfucker. <laughs> he also, a mere two or three minutes later, he also says to her, you're supposed to be a girl who doesn't know how to say no yep. when she when she doesn't want to put out. Yeah. And that's when she drops the you need mother love line. Look, it's not right. But fucking what which movie is? Nothing's perfect. You know, <laughs> all the rest of this is is a cohesive narrative layered upon good acting, good story. Yes. Everything else is great. Yes. It just turns out that it's seemingly impossible for people to not be sexist in the 80s yeah but yeah the rest is ideal filmmaking this is a brilliant film it had me in stitches i loved it and i'm giving it five out of five razor blade tipped fingers but he has two gloves Uh uh-oh no, but doesn't he only have the claws on the one glove? No, because... Like I was, a Michael Jackson thing? I thought so, but then I did see both hands moving, and they both had the oh. clicky, clicky, clicky gloves. So he's like a two-handed okay. budget Freddy Krueger. Okay, fine. I give it 10 out of 10 razor blade tipped fingers. I am going to... Now, I'm not sure if I should subtract points for this or add points for the Cameron Cameron Mitchell orgasm. That's a plus, man. (laughs) That's a... (laughs) It was hilarious, but then also it was weird, so I'm not sure... Such a moving performance. So... Were you moved by it? I, I was inspired to move far away from lingering there with my thoughts and didn't want to think about it. That's exactly the same thing as a moving performance. Well, okay. Well, then it did move me. So I'm giving it in the same way that this film is slightly incomprehensible. Here comes potentially my most incomprehensible rating yet. I give it both an 8 out of 10 and a 12 out of 10. (laughs) Okay, that's... That's good. I think that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Because if you take it a 10, <laughs> I never gave it a 10. So we have three ratings for people to work with. But it's it's mostly worth your while to go watch this film. Because it's fun. It's fun. It's truly one of the more fun B-films that I've discovered. And it's a rare gem. And I hope to see more of Cameron yes. Mitchell in the future. Oh, we must. We must. I'm like... I'm chomping at the bit now for the Cameron Mitchell marathon. Yeah. The Mitchell-thon. So, I don't know what's next on Be Positive. Oh. But I will tell you one thing. Yes. For Chinese New Year. Yes. Which is February. We will be watching Shaw Brothers. Not the whole collection. Oh, yes. too much. But, like, we're going to be watching some no. classic fucking Hong Kong kung fu nonsense. Just absolute trash. And it's going to be it. amazing. Okay, that's... That's something to look forward to. I'm really excited about that. We're celebrating Chinese New Year. Year of the pig. Coming at you. Oink, oink, motherfucker. (laughs) Get out my way, dog. Yeah, last year was Year of the Dog, and I thought it was going to be a really good one. It was not a good Uh, boy. Bad. Bad dog. Bad. Bad 2018. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's hope the pig does better. The pig's going to do better. I don't know why, but I, I believe in the pig. I mean, as long as it's... 
a literal pig and not a police officer, I have faith in it. So as always, you can find us on the Facebooks, the Twitters, on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Stay Scary. You can find me. I'm mainly on Instagram at Fraser Chonji. Where can we find you, Louis? I'm in my house. You can come visit me. Okay. Uh, my address. It, no, okay, no. Shouldn't I? No address. Okay. No, 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 no. This is not my how that My credit works. card number is... <laughs> <laughs> You can find me at Luiru on Instagram and also on Facebook and Twitter under at Stay Scary. We co-manage those accounts. True that. Yeah, yeah. Reach out. Talk to us. Like I said, we've we've got like six ratings, six five-star reviews on iTunes, nice. which I guess iTunes is the metric by which we are all weighed and measured. So yes. Six out of six is pretty good. So, you know, keep those reviews coming. We Please do. truly enjoy making this podcast, even if no one was listening. But yeah, people are listening. And then also, you know, if you could just recommend it to a friend, but not just any friend. Don't recommend it to the guy who lays on the couch for a week and watches the cricket. Like, he might not have fun. But if you've got a friend who is into what some people would call bad movies, if you have some friend, people we don't know which people we don't know which people it's not us if you have another friend or the same friend who is also into i don't know pseudo intellectual bullshit is that is that what we yep. do that's a thing yep yeah yep yep yep, yep. well we if, need to be honest yeah if yeah. you're if you have friends who are into that and b movies or you know, just some cross-section of the population. Just uh, let them know about the yeah. podcast. Get them to have a listen. Grow the audience. And then just yeah. reach out to us. You know, have a chat. Uh, we've been having some nice chats with people on Twitter. Some interactions. It's been good. Yeah. Feel free to slide into our DMs. Feel free to just publicly post at us. Yep. We should be able uh, to see that shit too. Feel free to stop by my house. My address is... is... No. <laughs> no. No address. Uh, and then as always... You stay scary. <laughs> what a spooky vision. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Clean up on aisle spooks. Uh-oh. We'll see you all next time. Did you watch What's the up? fucking Gillette ad that everyone's freaking out? I did. Everybody's losing their minds it's about it. It's but just I don't, an ad. I don't really get it. It's just an ad, guys. It's like, ugh, nice message. Cool, I guess. Dope. But like, it's still just trying to sell razor blades yeah. to people. I agree. We should stop the little boys fighting because as entertaining as that might be, it's not teaching them good people. Skills. That's not the arena for it. It's not. No, you should take it to the... To the... <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. To the <laughs> kitty college. To the local illegal child cage fighting match. Yeah, you'd meet the president. <laughs> Uh-uh. Uh, that might be the best moment of this podcast. I like that. <laughs> yeah.